Your welcome to the Davis 10 Soccer Podcast. My name is Greg Davis, former NCAA Division I athlete, and the goal of this podcast is to shed light on the harsh realities of life after sports. My guest today is former professional and collegiate soccer player Andrew Souza. Andrew began his collegiate career at Limestone University, followed by Providence College. A playmaking central midfielder, Andrew scored the game-winning goal his senior year to take Providence College to its second-ever Big East final appearance. He was then drafted in the third round of the MLS draft by the New England Revolution and went on to play for Portuguese second division club Aparario, followed by Atlantic top division sub up, uh, sorry, Atlantic top division side Phil Kier. During their 2014 campaign, Andrew led the club in goals and assists and received man of the match honors in their final game of the season, falling just short of qualifying for the UEFA Europa League. Souza, welcome to the Davis 10 Soccer Podcast. My man, how you doing? Good to see you. Good to see you, too. I, I know in that introduction, I introduced you as Andrew, but I'm going to call you Souza. I never knew you as Andrew, so if that's all right with you. It's perfect, man. <laughs> and did I pronounce uh, a Phil Kier? Is that, is that how you pronounce that that club? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. I, I still don't know how to pronounce it, but <laughs> you play for them, right? Pretty close. <laughs> I figured, I figured. Uh, so yeah, so I know, um, I know Sousa from, uh, from Providence College. So when I first got to Providence College, I was a freshman, Sousa was a senior, and we actually, uh, he was my, my first roommate during, uh, I guess, like summer, pre, pre-summer, pre-season. pre-season. Thank That's you. Right. Thank you. Pre-season. Right. So you remember that? I do. <laughs> uh, I have a I have a solid memory. You can you can say if you remember this or not, but um, I remember I got to the room and I was pretty hyped because I was like the first one there. I was the first one in the room. There were three beds. There was one single bed and then there were two bunk beds. And of course, me, I'm like you know whatever. I'm taking the single. So I set up my bed. I put on my my nice fitted sheets. And then I come back in the room maybe about 20 minutes later and my sheets are like thrown on the top bunk. I was like, what, what happened here? And Susan's like, bro, like you're a freshman. You don't get the single bed. <laughs> I don't remember you that. Remember man, that's, yeah, that's, that's, funny. that's great. No, listen, I think that was, that was my first taste of like, you know, they say like when you, when you start, you start playing in the big leagues, you get a taste of it. And that was my taste yeah. of like, oh man, I know what it's like to be a freshman. I was taking liberties. I get it. <laughs> I, and I consider myself one of the nice guys, honestly. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I do. I do remember um, bunking up with you. It was me, you and George Hodge, I think, right? No, I think it was me, you and Cintron. Was it Cintron? That's what I thought. I don't, I don't really remember. I, okay. I don't remember that part. I thought, I thought it was Hodge. Um, Okay. Because I remember, I remember the first day of preseason, um, when you, I, th- I think it was, it probably wasn't the first day of preseason. I think it was the first day we had the fitness run. <laughs> yep. You were cooked on the fitness run. Yeah. And then we came back to the room, and you were laying in the bed, and your eyes were open. I was like, "Hey, man, like, what did you think of the fitness run?" No response, and I was like. <laughs> Yeah, is this guy dead? <laughs> you need to check the pulse there. You need to check the pulse. Yo, that's, um, that's a story yeah, for the it, ages. It's, yeah. it's, it's funny because then we – it was double sessions, right? So we went, I think, to uh, the, the to the field after to play. And I think you rainbowed George. Yeah. And you were dogging him so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, this is what I – like, this is what I tell everybody, right? So 
we get to this fitness test, you have to run two and a half miles in, I think it was 15 minutes, right? That would make sense because it's a six minute mile pace, two and a half miles. I think, it was, was, I think it was quicker than that. I think it was quicker than that. Oh, well, there's was no way two, I was, was making that. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. I thought it was, I got this thing stitched in my head. No, it was two and, tw- it was two and 12. Okay. Six minute miles, right? Two and 12. I thought I thought the distance was 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 uh, was two and a half, but okay, but maybe it felt like two and a half because there were hills. I don't know, um, but I just I remember I yeah I completely like shit the bed uh, with that fitness. I vivid I vividly remember you on that. Um, I won't I won't say the swears that you were saying <laughs> because you were my you were my bunk mate, so I wanted to make sure that you finished that. And I remember running with you, and the legs were just they just weren't working. I was like, come on, Greg, come on, man, push, push. <laughs> listen that that thing was such a struggle and i remember i I like we started the fitness test and i took off and i was like and i was feeling good the first like 30 seconds i was like oh everyone's behind me then all of a sudden it's just like people just the swift and past me and i was like man and then i stopped at one point during the run i was like this hill is crazy like i just stopped i walked and i think y'all actually went on to the second like fitness exercise and coach didn't even know that I was still like in the park running and I came back, y'all were doing push-ups, sit-ups and all that, all that <laughs> like core work. So yeah, that was, that was an experience. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, the, the experienced guys knew not to uh, push it through the first hill. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't all, prepare. We just let all the young guys <laughs> push through the first hill. And then once you get to the top, you're cooked. Yeah. That was me. And um, now, nah, but I, I always, one thing I always I think I appreciated about Souza was that I felt like he always kept it real. Um, you know, he always was, you know, I, I feel like you as, as a player weren't afraid to like put somebody in their place or just, you know, tell somebody, you know, where they need to be. Because um, I, I got another kind of just memory that I have that's that's pretty clear in my head is I remember um, my first game as a freshman, I scored two goals. I think it was against URI, University of Rhode Island. And... <clears throat> I was like, I was really feeling myself. Uh, you know, I thought I was <laughs> best thing ever. And I was I was so hyped about it. And I remember I was like outside my dorm. I think I was talking to my parents and I was just real hyped about it, telling them about the two goals. And and you came by, you were like, listen, bro, like, don't get too hyped about it. Like, it's a long season. <laughs> and then like, I was like, damn, those guys just hating on me. And then <laughs> and I actually like, I, I don't think I scored until like the last game of the season <laughs> again. And I was like, damn, like it really was a long season, you know? But uh, yeah, but I just um, felt like you always kept it real and you had that experience that, that I just didn't have coming in. Yeah, I think, um, you know, talking to Shaka, he was pretty open with the older guys and kind of the leaders on the team. And I remember him talking about you and he's like, we got this kid coming in. He's a good player, like really good striker. It's what we needed. And then that first game, I remember I, I was injured at the time. Um, I didn't play that game. I, I, I missed the first three games of every season. <laughs> Hamstrings <laughs> or, or quads, is like they were cooked. But um, Yashak was, he was um, pretty hype on you. And that first game, I remember thinking like, this kid's going to do some damage, but yeah. You know, oh, you always got to put the young guys in their place. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. No, so um, again, really appreciate you you setting up some time to do this. And um, you know, without further ado, let's get right into it. Um, why don't we start off with with telling me a little bit about how you got into soccer and what initiated your love for the sport? Yeah, I think uh, being Portuguese and uh, having that background, like soccer, is pretty big foundation in our culture. Um, you know, for 
everyone who's involved in the sport knows for a country that's 11 million people that the amount of players that Portugal produces is insane. You just look at the Premier League, you look at all the leagues around the world, the coaches, you know, the top players that we're able to produce. It's, it's literally a football factory. So um, it's pretty ingrained in our culture. And I had a ball in front of me since before I could walk. So um, that's where the love started. I had two older brothers. We were playing the yard and that's all I did pretty much every day. You know, I have two kids now and they have all these toys. Like I had a soccer ball and that's all I cared about was <laughs> playing with that soccer ball. So that's, that's where the love started uh, at a very young age. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you brought up your Portuguese background and I know you grew up in, in Fall River, Massachusetts, if I remember correctly. And yep. I didn't know much about, I, I was coming up from New York to the New England area. I didn't know much about uh, different neighborhoods and stuff like that in Massachusetts, but I'm pretty sure, you know, you growing up, uh, Fall River is a pretty uh, Portuguese area in itself, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody there is from the Azores, which is an island off the coast of Portugal. I would say 75% of the city is. So growing up, I didn't even speak English. You didn't have to. All your neighbors spoke Portuguese. And like when Portugal played or Benfica played, it was like a national holiday. So yeah, you know those are, those are my earliest memories of the game. I could recite like every player on Benfica at three, four years old. Yeah, yeah. No, I still remember you and assistant coach John Mark. I mean, y'all would talk about Portugal all the time. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> those deep roots in in Providence and East Providence and Fall River and that whole area and Portuguese community. Nice. Nice. Let's tell me a little bit like um, before, you know, even like the competitive, the real competitive soccer started. Tell me, what was your what was your most favorite childhood sports memory? Just something that, that kind of sticks with you when you were younger. Yeah, I mean, early on when I was five, six years old, you know, we all played like rec soccer. And those were honestly one of the funnest times because there was like no pressure, right? You just went out and played and had fun with your friends. And I just remember like my whole family being there to watch those games. So like I, I used to get pumped up to play those games. And I remember like the butterflies before those games were insane. You know, like I didn't even get butterflies playing pro or like college or taking PKs and big games or, you know, it was like, I remember the butterflies when I was four years old, five years old, going to those rec games, like in the car, I was nervous. <laughs> I couldn't even eat breakfast. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's, it's important for everybody at a young age, like just having fun. You know, I was just having so much fun and I'm sure you did as well. I think for yeah. all of us, when we started at a young age, it was so much fun playing with your friends, especially like kids that you knew outside of soccer, you know, you're all together playing against each other. It's like real competitive. It was, it was awesome. That was, pro that was, those were my favorite memories of, of playing soccer. Nah, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. It's pretty crazy how, you, like you said, you're getting butterflies then and you're not even doing that, like, on the big stage, like, I don't know, playing on ESPN or whatever it may be. Like, yeah, yeah. In college. Yeah. Um, what was, um, you know, just kind of looking back at it, what do you think, what would you say was, was your dream? What did you ultimately want to accomplish in the future with soccer? I wanted to be a Benfica player. I always wanted to play for Benfica. Like, that's the dream for every kid who is a Benfica fan. You want to put on that shirt. So... That was like a major dream of mine. And I used to go to bed with my Benfica shirt on. I had a, like all the posters of the guys from the team uh, from the 90s and stuff. So that was my major dream was was to put on a Benfica shirt. Nice, nice. I don't follow Portuguese soccer too much. How's Benfica doing these days? 
they're number one in the league right now. They're top of the table, uh, coming off a couple of mediocre seasons for our club. But I mean, we're things are looking up. Good, good. <laughs> and um, you know, kind of kind of looking back at it, would you say that? Um, did you feel like this, or was this dream? I guess looking back at it now, was this dream realistic in your eyes? I would say when I was younger, you don't realize the work that you need to put in to get there. Um, I think that becomes more blatant once you become 13, 14, 15 years old. You're like, okay, um, you know, there's a lot of good players out there. And I actually ended up at their academy uh, for a week. I went out there and trained, and I was like way behind that like all the players out there i think i was 14 years old 13 years old and i went out there and trained and they were training on a dirt pitch yeah. now this is the biggest club in portugal and i remember showing up to the pitch and it was dirt it was like like sand and i was just like this is benfica's youth academy and i was playing with like the u14s u14s u13s i, I can't remember and i just remember how much faster these kids were than I was. And, you know, I'm thinking I'm like one of the best players in Massachusetts, Rhode Island. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to play with these guys. Like most of the kids, I was talking to one kid there. He was coming off uh, Manchester United's Academy. He just, he was there for, I think a couple years and he went back to Benfica. And I'm like, these kids are so advanced. And U.S. soccer just really wasn't there unless you were at like the top, top, top clubs. Um, yeah. You know, so... I mean, that was really eye-opening. That was when I was like, okay, I need to work harder. Mm. You know, after that moment on is when I think I really started to drill in. And was like, okay, if I want to make this a dream of mine, I'm going to have to get to that level. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that that was a huge eye-opener. And a lot of people don't, you know, you uh, that was that was probably a great opportunity for you just, just, to, just to know that or find that out. Because a lot of people don't really get to that point where they're like, oh, wow where they get to that next level, right? It may be college, for example, where they're like, wow, like these kids yeah. are good. Like I got to get to yeah, that yeah. next level. You had that at, at 13, 14. So. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Because once you get to 17, 18, you have to like turn it up a notch. Might be too late at that time. You know, 17, 18 in Europe, you're already a pro. Yeah. You know, so you need to get And I think that's what the MLS is doing now is we're getting kids into academies at a really young age. And that's how we're going to be able to compete on the global stage is getting these players up to that standard. Because when we go off to college, these kids are going to play professional minutes, whether it's in the second division, whether it's coming off the bench for the first team, whether it's in the B team, they're getting professional minutes against men where we kind of plateau when we get to college because we're playing with kids our age, the level is decent but it's crammed into three months and how much can you really get out of three months of playing soccer and then you're not training so it's you know we it, for in order for us to um kind of compete on a world stage is we we got to emulate what the europeans and the rest of the world are doing for sure no uh, yeah i completely agree and you see that kind of happening uh, a little bit now and just kind of looking back at it, tell me um, about the, would you say, what would you say was like the highest point in your career where you felt you were closest to, to, to reaching this dream? I would say when I was at New England, um, 
probably three, four months in where I was competing in the MLS, you know, in, on the first team, um, getting called into the 18. I was on the bench. I was one of the best players in training week in, week out. And, you know, I felt like I was right there, you know, like I just need that. I just need to be put on the stage and I was going to perform and get that bump, you know, to that. Because there's one thing getting there, right? There's one thing like signing a pro contract. Now, once you're there, you have to get that opportunity to play where there's so many guys that fall through the cracks. Like I've seen big time players, guys that we played against um, that were unbelievable players, but their game never really transitioned to the pro game. Maybe it was because they never got that opportunity. Could they have definitely played for sure? You know, if, if you're at that pro level, everyone's good. It's who can take advantage of the opportunity, who gets that opportunity. And when they get that opportunity, do they take it to the next level? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, when I was, when I was in New England, I was like, okay, this is like, I'm pretty close here. Um, you know, all I need is to get that first start or get in the game and, and make something happen. And, you know, it's just going to catapult me. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Cause I'm like you said, we played against so many good players from the likes of, of Louisville, UConn, um, you know, uh, what is it, St. John's, Villanova, like we just played against a whole bunch of guys. And to this day, I'm like, sometimes I just get into a mode where I'm looking up players that we played against in like 2010, 2011. I'm like, what are they doing these days? Like so-and-so still playing, you know, because they were, a lot of these guys were just beasts in, in West, yeah. Virginia, West Virginia too. And yeah, yeah. like a lot of these guys were just beasts. So um, nah, that's, a, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I went into preseason with, I think it was eight guys. Mm say six of them were Big East players because when we played in the Big East, it was like it was the best league in the country, right? right. <clears throat> so Louisville, Notre Dame, you know, all these guys that were really good college players. And I think what set me up, like I was like one of three that signed. So you think about it, like we had like 10 guys in preseason. They signed like three of us, maybe four, don't remember. But I was like, I, I was always a technical player, but when I went into that preseason, I was like, I mean, the bio that they wrote for me was hard-nosed midfielder, and Shaka sent me a text like, what the hell are you doing out there? <laughs> and I just remember I, just, I was yeah. flying into tackles, and I was like, listen, there's no way that anyone's beating me out for a contract. Like, That's no, Listen, like, that's funny. That's so funny that you bring that up because – you know, as, as you know, I, I kind of pulled together information to put together a bio for you. And I saw that and I had it in my bio, like Andrew Sousa is a hard nosed midfielder. And I was just, then I kind of took a step back and I was like, wait, hard nosed, <laughs> like that's, that's normally dudes, which again, like, it's like, uh, you know, it's just, that just wasn't, that's not the player that I remember you being. So I remember yeah. I, I changed it and I just put, um, I think like, like a, like a playmaker, you know, cause that, yeah. that's how yeah. I remember you. And I was yeah. like, yeah, hard yeah, nose. Yeah. like this dude, this dude wasn't making any tackles at Providence, like hard, like hard nose tackles like that. Not really. Maybe yeah. tackles were flying in on him, but. I mean, I wasn't asked to, so. Yeah. <laughs> Fair, enough. Fair enough. Listen, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. And when did you, um, you know, this, so, so this dream you were, you were, you know, you felt like you were closest then. When did you realize, I guess that, that this dream um, that you ultimately had, um, would be unattainable? I don't think that that ever crossed my mind. I think once I got released from New England and things just didn't go how I wanted them to, I'm like, okay, you know, I 
I've been at an MLS club. I know what it takes. I was actually injured at the time, um, but that's a story for another day um, because technically you're not supposed to get released while you're injured. So I was kind of like in a tough spot and I was like, okay, what am I, what am I going to do? Uh, what's the next step that I need to take to um, ultimately achieve what I want to do? And that's, you know, play, my, my goal was always playing Europe. So I want to play in Europe at a, at a top division or middle division, say Sweden, Denmark, you know, somewhere where you can catapult to those top leagues. Um, and that was, that was my goal right after that. I think once I went to Iceland and we, we literally lost on the last game of the season against a team that was relegated already. We were up three, two, we ended up losing four, three, we were up a man and we lost that game. I was like, dude, this was my chance. Like playing in the Europa League, you don't know who you're going to play against, right? So like you can end up playing against a Rosenborg in Norway. Um, That's a huge club in Norway and you kill it against them. And, you know, they're like, who's this guy? We want to sign him. You know, that that happens all the time, right? So, um, you know, once, once that happened and we lost, I was like, man, this is, I was 25 at the time. And I was like, man, that was, that was a chance. And I just remember sitting in the locker room for like two hours after the game, everybody had gone. Everybody, I thought they locked the doors on me. I was just sitting there in the locker room like, damn, this was it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that, that kind of transitions me into my next question, which is um, what was that? Was that the specific moment? I'm not sure how long you played after that, but was that, was, was that the specific moment or was there a specific moment when you realized that your playing days overall would, would come to an end? I didn't think I realized that there was something inside of me that kind of knew it at the time that that was the moment because it was like, I had the clock ticking with my wife at the time. Like she didn't want to move to Europe. Um, and I kind of wanted to play in Europe because I didn't see a future for myself in MLS being a center midfielder, you know, I just thought there was way too much competition in that position at all the clubs. And I just knew that I wasn't going to get the playing time that I needed. And USL wasn't what it is today. You had very limited options and they just weren't paying guys. Right. So, um, I, I, that was like my best game ever of my career was that last game. And that was my last professional game. Um, I actually scored a goal off a corner. They had their keeper was the Icelandic national team keeper. And Iceland at the time was doing really well. They were about to make the Euros in the World Cup. So he was getting signed to a big club and they ended up playing an academy kid. And he didn't put anybody on the near post. And I was like, this kid's out of his mind. (laughs) So I actually just whipped one in near post and ended up going in. It was like one of the best goals I ever scored. But like that game, I couldn't do anything wrong. And I just remember at halftime, the team that we needed to lose was losing two nothing. And we were all like, dude, like we're going to Europa league. Like, this is going to be crazy. Like, you know, we worked so hard for this all season and we ended up losing the game four, three, we were up at half two to one. They ended up getting a red card, ended up getting another assist in the game. And like, we just had chance as a chance. And our goalie, our goalie let up a very shady goal at the end. And that was it. 
<clears throat> but I remember I was, I was sitting in the showers and I'm not ashamed to say this. I was just bawling my eyes out for about an hour yeah. in the showers. Like, I was like, this was it. You know, my, my dream was playing Europe and, and playing the Europa League, uh, Champions League, whatever, any of those competitions. And that was the closest I ever got. Yeah. No, that's, that's understandable. I mean, you're talking about playing in the Europa League, right? I mean, I'd be balling for weeks, so that's completely understandable. Yeah. Um, now, do you, do you feel like you blame yourself for not reaching uh, any of the goals that, that you set your mind to? I mean, I think we're all responsible for uh, where we end up in life, right? Um, I, don't, I, I would say blame is it's a tough word to use for that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think there's anything else that I could have done other than the fact like maybe a couple of uh, decisions on where to, where to go play and like what I did in the off season, um, whether it was like signing for PDO clubs in the off season just to, to play. Like, I think I could have um, stayed in Portugal. <clears throat> You know, and the reason I left Portugal was, was for financial reasons. Like, it was the club I was at. We were top. We were the number one team in the third division. We just weren't getting paid. Um, you know, they'd pay you twice a month, and then the checks would go missing for three weeks, right? So it was like a financial decision. But, I mean, to, to, to put blame on myself, I would say – I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it blame. You know, I think, I think there could have been some more de better decisions that I could have made. Um, but, but to, to say blame, you know, I think that's a bit harsh. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and this is a question that, that people are just asked in, in life, but, um, you know, I guess looking back at it, do, do you have any regrets? I had this conversation a lot with, with guys that we played with. Um, and guys that, that have played pro and and don't play anymore. And I think when we were we were coming up, it was kind of an awkward time in in American soccer. The, <laughs> I remember being on trial with um, Oklahoma City and Sporting KC. They were like the feeder clubs, and I was sitting <clears throat> at a restaurant with the goalkeeper. Who is now the goalkeeper for Sporting KC? And I can't I can't remember his name, but he's a starting goalkeeper for Sporting KC. And he was talking about another. He was a pool goalkeeper at the time. So the way it works in MLS, you can be a goalkeeper for the league, and whenever a team needs a practice goalkeeper, they'll just sign you. I think his name's Tim Tim Malia. Um, but they can they can sign you for a certain amount of days, and you just go to whatever club and you practice and you practice with the club and sometimes you might get lucky you know the keeper might get injured you might play and become the starting goalkeeper he ended up becoming the starting goalkeeper at sporting kc and he was telling me you know i got a friend he plays for fc dallas he's out at a bar and he's chatting up this girl and she's like oh you play for fc dallas uh, and he's like, little does she know, am I sleeping on a mattress on the floor in my oh, wow. apartment? <laughs> wow. You know, so that was like at the time, you know, and even like guys like Jeff Cameron, when he came into the league, I think he was making $21,000. Yeah. This, guy, this man went on to represent the U.S. national team in the World Cup. 
played for Stoke City in the Premier League, scored against Arsenal. Like the, <laughs> the guy was making 21k out of college, like two years before I came out playing in the MLS. Like, how are you supposed to live off that? You know, so it's like a, it, I, I feel like nowadays it's better set up. But when we were coming out, we had to make decisions financially for our future. And I think I didn't want to be that guy at 30 something years old, like, okay, I just ended my career. I played, you know, whether it was USL or I was an MLS journeyman or I was playing the lower leagues in Europe. And what do I have to show for it? You know, I didn't want to be that guy. And that's ultimately why I walked away from the game. Yeah. Yeah. No, listen, it's understandable. I think I was, I was talking to somebody at, at, at Providence, maybe, um, you know, before I transferred out and um, I was asking them like, Oh, do you plan to go, you know, you plan to go pro you plan? And he's like, it's like, bro, no, like I can make so much more money doing something else. And that was, for me, that was the first time it, it kind of hit me. Cause like, I mean, you're not, you're not, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I think a lot of us at that age aren't necessarily thinking about those things. You're just thinking about like, wow, like MLS, like that's the goal or, or Europe. And you're not even thinking like, how much am I getting paid? I think maybe you're probably assuming that you're getting paid a, a pretty penny when, when the reality is that you just might not. Right. So, um, yeah, I think it, I think it starts to become reality when you're like 25 years old and, a lot of the guys that you went to college with are making good money already in their jobs, you know, and you see them vacationing and you see them all of that. And you really shouldn't base your life off that, but that's, it, it shouldn't have to be that way, especially in America where we have such a good foundation for our teams. And, you know, there's just the, the guys that own these clubs are billionaires, right? Right. Bob Kraft's the owner of the New England Revolution. He's a billionaire. There's no reason that anybody at that club should go without. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I, I just have a hard time believing that, you know, you're an MLS rookie and you're going to make 30 grand a year and you have to find an apartment or live with a host family in Major League Soccer. Like, it's one thing if you're playing third or fourth division in Scandinavia, <laughs> but you're playing in major league soccer, you know, like is anybody on the Celtics going to do that? Is anybody on the Patriots going to do that? I get that their revenue streams are much higher, but it's still billionaires owning the teams. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, listen, that's a valuable lesson. And, and you kind of, you know, you witnessed that firsthand and, and kind of speaking of lessons, um, you know, that throughout that transition process outside of sport, what would you say is, is, is the biggest lesson that you learned um, from, from sport retirement or just the transition process outside of sport? I think that a lot of us, <clears throat> probably all of us who come from that competitive background, if you take what you've, all that drive that you had to become a pro or become a D1 athlete, because let's not get this mixed up becoming a D one athlete and being a starter at a D one and D one school is already an achievement in itself. You know, how many youth soccer players out there that don't get a sniff at a D one school, don't get a scholarship at a D one school. Um, if you use those tools and all that motivation that you use to get there and you take that and you find something that you really love and the key word there is, is, loving what you do right so so many people get a job after college or after they retire and they don't love what they do so you're never going to excel if you don't love what you do because 
the primary um, the, the the basis of success is loving what you do, right? The foundation for success is loving what you do because there's so many times when you have to do like the dirty work. Say you own a business and like when I opened up my first business, I didn't pay myself for three months. I was mopping floors, right? You know, if you don't love what you do, you're not going to put that work in. Eventually it pays off if you're putting that work in, you know, and you have to find what you love. And then once you find what you love, all those tools that you use to become a D1 athlete or become a pro athlete, you know, that's all going to come into play. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a, that's a great lesson. I think, uh, I think we can all kind of take that and, and, and use that, um, you know, just, just that message of loving what you do. I really appreciate that. And, yeah, man, um, I think our, our lives are short, right? If yeah. you spend, if you're spending time doing, or, or you, you get, you go to work every day and if you don't love what you do, you know, in 20 years goes by pretty quick, man. Right? We're saying <laughs> we, we haven't talked in 10 years, right? Yeah. So like yeah it, that's what we said, right. It, but it, it went by in a snap of a finger. Yeah, you're so right. No, you're so right. And, um, you know, final question here, we'll end it off here. I know you've, you've obviously had a, had a rich kind of soccer history, a rich background, a rich, you know, playing experience, um, big Benfica fan. So um, are you still involved in the game and, in any way? And, and if so, how? Um, I'm, I'm actually still playing for a team out here in New York. So I still play for Lansdowne, which is an amateur club in New York. And, we happen to be one of the best amateur clubs in the country. So we've won numerous national championships at the amateur level. And I think that's kind of what's kept me happy. Um, it's going to be tough when I actually walk away from that. Um, you know, it seems, seems like that soon now with two kids, but um, <laughs> I, I haven't played in, in a couple of months now because of that. But I mean, that's, that's kept me going. You know, it's it's a good level. The local, I mean, you're from New York. You know, the the amateur leagues out here, or there's a lot of quality, right? Absolutely. A lot of guys who have played pro, a lot of guys who are still playing pro who use it as um, ways to stay fit in the off season. So, you know, that's that's how I stay involved in the game. Who knows what the future holds? Uh, I always talked about potentially starting my own club one day um, to stay involved. But I mean, I got two boys. You know they're they're gonna keep they're gonna keep me busy. <laughs> no, listen, and you're part of the the two the two under two club. So two even you uh, <laughs> even you finding the time to to do this for me uh, today was uh you know I know I know that it's that it's tough, but like you said, they're they're likely sleeping right now. So <laughs> so now's a perfect time. <laughs> <laughs> well, Susan, listen, uh, we'll hold it there. Um, you know, really really appreciate your insight. I think you know as somebody with with your type of background and. Um, and and playing not only collegiate soccer, playing in, in major league soccer, but then also going abroad. And you talked about your experience going to Europe uh, when you were just 13, 14. I think you have a broad spectrum in terms of in terms of your how you see professional soccer and, and, and the different sort of systems that are used. And I think that this was this was super enlightening. So um, just want to give a you know a really big thank you for you to for offering your time for opening up and, and talking a little bit about your journey. Yeah, man, I appreciate you for having me on. I think this is a great podcast you're doing because I know there's a lot of people out there who, um, you know, I wouldn't say struggle, but they are looking for ways to find a new life after sport. So 
I think this podcast is definitely, definitely useful, uh, not only for guys who have left the game, but also guys who are about to start a new journey. So, yeah, I appreciate you for doing this. No, definitely. And I think a lot of your, your input is going to go a long way. So um, thanks again, Sousa. I'll, I'll, I'll let you get back, get some sleep, <laughs> and, um, and we'll, we'll talk soon. I appreciate it, bud. Good to see you.